Monday is the most pastors day off just because they're wore out from the weekend and and I take Monday off uh, tomorrow I'm gonna go golfing I haven't gone golfing in like three years and uh, three or four or five of the staff on our church were gonna go golfing together Mallard Creek pastors can golf for five dollars on Monday and so it's a good price for us now before we get started though uh, Monday I'm gonna check about the rules because when I golf I like to play with certain rules it just makes it go better and uh, otherwise I could be out there for two or three days um, trying to get the hole in the ball uh, the ball in the hole and so uh, we make new rules at least I make new rules and then I say okay if I'm gonna play I'm gonna go by these rules It's not the, the regular rules because it'll just take too long for me to hit the ball and hit the ball and hit the ball and hit the ball and so one of my rules is if it's a par four most I can do is eight no more than eight written on my card that's max and so after I hit uh, the ball eight times pick it up and go to the next hole and uh, that works good that's a, that's just a cool rule I really like it and uh, changing the rules on golf is you know they're, they're gonna change some rules in football this year rules committee uh, they're gonna thinking about adding a four-point line in the NBA always changing the rules just about everything that there is in life uh, but one of the areas where the rules don't change is uh, with God and our walk and our relationship with him but people still do that I'm gonna talk this morning about a couple of rule changes that have taken place that uh, are bad in the sense of what people believe and how it messes up their life and look at the, what the Bible says about those particular ones and the first one is uh, termed the prosperity gospel uh, one individual I think is more accurately said it's American Christianity that's just American Christianity and that basic uh, teaching is that when you become a Christian God's gonna bless you so that you have a cool life and everything's great and we've exported that to countries around the world Africa is a classic place where when I did a, a, a crusade there to start a church and, and gave an invitation and people come forward and you talk to them and they really truly believe that if they become a Christian they're gonna become rich like Americans I remember talking to one guy and I said no 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 uh, you might just get killed for your faith martyred for your faith people might yell at you and persecute you and his question to me with a puzzled look was well why should I become a Christian if there's no guarantee of a better life and I says because your sins are forgiven and you get to go to heaven forever so that's the focal point way back in the very beginning when only God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit existed nothing else existed and they planned the future and the plan was to add a member to the Trinity as it were the church the bride of Christ we would live with him in heaven forever that was the goal that we would live with him forever in heaven and so we spend nine months in our mother's womb growing from a single cell all the way up to a person with fingers and toes and eyes and ears and then we're born and then we spend some time uh, not that long a time in this world doing the same thing we did in our mother's womb now we're getting equipped so we can live in heaven forever we're becoming like Jesus in character and then we're, we enter into glory into heaven uh, but we think it's about now 
And it is no more about now than it was when we were in our mother's womb. The only thing now matters is our spiritual growth, and it might take all kinds of pressure and problems and trials and tribulations for that growth to take place, and God will do whatever it takes for us to grow. See, it's about heaven. And uh, so as we're going through the Gospel of John, John just does seven miracles, and he's very precise in his writing, and the theme of everything he writes is to is to teach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He is God, He is the Messiah, and He came that we might have life, life in heaven forever and ever with Him. Now this seventh uh, miracle is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and the whole point is Jesus is raising people and giving them eternal life. So let me read to you John chapter 11. A certain man was sick. I get sick, you get sick, we all get sick. This sick was serious. Uh, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of, Mar- uh, of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this family of Lazarus and Mary and Martha were very close to Jesus. He stayed there whenever he uh, went from Galilee to Jerusalem. He would stay in their home. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Jesus, behold, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love... Jesus was very close to Lazarus. He is sick, and the reason they sent the message is because Jesus healed people. That's what he did. Everywhere he went, he healed people. And so Lazarus is serious sick, and they didn't know know if Jesus knew or not, so they sent him a message. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer. Now, you'd think if Jesus heard that he was sick, he'd say, okay, let's go, we've got to hurry. But uh, he stays two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. they just come from there. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, that little statement, pushing it together in a single statement, is that it's okay. It's all planned. It's all planned before the foundation of the world. God uh, set it up, and Jesus is right on course. Uh, He's doing exactly what the plan calls for. And so they were worried about his dying, and that was part of the plan. Then he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may waken him. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. He'll wake up. His alarm will go off. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go so that we may die with him. They were pretty sure that when they got there, the Jews were going to kill them all. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, the, the, the Jews didn't embalm like many of the people during that time did. They simply would find some nice-smelling spices, and they would wrap the body with these spices so that it wouldn't stink. And then you could come uh, and pray and uh, sort of spend a little time with your relative or friend for the first three days. 
three days all you got. And then after that, too much smell, not even the spices would take care of it. It would be stinky, rotten. And so they get there, and he's dead four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two, mi- uh, three mi- uh, two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is sort of a scold. Uh, You're late. It's too late. We sent you the message. He's already dead. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, now this is the core of the gospel right here, the core of the gospel of John. Jesus said to her, I am, remember that's the Old Testament name for God. Jesus has declared himself to be, I am the light, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he who comes into the world, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, and she says the exact same thing that Martha did, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How come you're so late? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. You ever wonder why Jesus wept when he knew what he was going to do? Why was he troubled if he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Uh, What was bothering him? I don't know if you pray the prayer letter or not. You should. It's a great way to support the church family. Uh, you can get that email to you, mail to you. But, you know, sometimes when I pray through the prayer letter, there'll be so many prayer requests about uh, bad marriages and, and uh, financial problems and kids that have gotten involved in drugs and family members in prison. And just, I, I pray through that, and it almost becomes overwhelming in the sense of the, uh, the sadness that's there in that, those prayer requests. And I often find myself making it uh, happen in three different chunks of time rather than one time because I just get so sort of overwhelmed with all the issues and problems and trials. And Jesus has a great sense of what people are going through and the, the, the sadness they experience and death is at the core of that. And so he's deeply moved in spirit and he's troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, come and see. And, and Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. That was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. He's praying out loud for people to hear him that are all around. 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Can you imagine that scene? He's all wrapped up, sort of like a mummy, and he comes hopping out of the, out of, out of, out of the cave. Could you imagine being one of the people there seeing that scene? Um, Lazarus comes hopping out of the cave. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. I wonder if he still smelled. I'm sure the cloth did. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Now, that seems like uh, such a casual statement. If I were there and wasn't a believer and heard Jesus pray to the Father and saw somebody who had been dead four days hopping out wrapped in grave clothes, I would become a believer instantly in who Jesus was and what he said about himself. Um, They believed in him, but some... They went off to the Pharisees and told them, and that's really what accelerated their plans to crucify him, to kill him. I can't imagine anybody seeing that and not believing, but many, that was exactly the case. So if you have your notes, by the way, there's 13 points in your notes, and we're only going to get to seven, uh, and then we'll do the rest of them next week. Uh, made that decision last night about two-thirds of the way through my sermon. I'm not going to come close to getting done. I think we'll just make it easy for next week. Uh, so number one, death is the greatest enemy of man. Death is the greatest enemy of man. So do you have it marked on your calendar? The day when you're going to die? I don't. How about the time? Not me. I don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 20 years. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. We went fishing in Alaska, and uh, Raymond Freetag been in our church since we were way up in the grade school gym. He used to be on staff here as a builder. Now is on staff at the ch- uh, school as our maintenance guy. And anyway, uh, Raymond has a, a bent, a character flaw as he loves to scare people. And so uh, one of the guys with the group that went to Alaska was absolutely paranoid about bears, and we hiked two miles every day to go fishing, and every day we saw big bears. And so this guy that went with us was, I mean, he was just super paranoid. And so Raymond went up ahead and hid, and we're looking around, and where's Raymond? And somebody said, I bet he's up there. He's going to try to scare this guy that's so scared of bears. And so we all knew he was. He knew he was. And so all of a sudden, his, he, he was walking. All of a sudden, this is how he walked. The whole two miles. And we got to where Raymond was hiding in the bushes. And even though he was expecting it, Raymond jumped out of the bush and growled like a bear. And he levitated. This guy, I mean, i never seen anybody so scared and scream as loud. And what we said is, I, I don't want this to insult anybody, but uh, he sounded like a little girl. I mean, he squealed. Ooh. He knew it was coming. He just didn't know when. 
And the whole trip, he was nervous and afraid. And when it came, he indeed uh, was scared out of his wits. Now, that was quite a few years ago, and I, we still tell the story. We still laugh about it. Um, so when are you going to die? Did you know most people are just like that individual going through the woods? They're just nervous, uptight. Psalms 18.4, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of ungodliness terrified me, the cords of shield surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. Psalms 55.4, my heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me, fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Psalms 116, verse 3, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me, I found distress and sorrow. So, what if this is how it worked? Now, if I were going to make the rules and God asked me, I say, this, this is what I think would be a cool thing to do. When a person trusts Jesus, that was at 13 years of age, I became a believer at Fir Point. But when a person becomes a believer, when they hear the gospel and they say, yeah, yeah, I believe it, I believe it, that they would get an automatic boom. They would get to go to heaven for five minutes and have a quick look around. And then they would go back to where they were. And then the date that they would die would be announced to them. I mean, how cool would that be? It's sort of like going to Disneyland in a month. You're thinking about it. And nothing really matters because you're going to Disneyland. If you knew and you'd been there and you'd seen it and the glory and the beauty and the, and the peace and, oh man, you could just, and the date was set... You know why God doesn't do that? Well, because we'd all jump off a bridge. We'd all shoot ourselves in the head or whatever. I mean, we're not going to stay. Let's go to heaven. Um, but we could live like that anyway. We really can. Uh, looking forward very much to the day we get to, to glory. Solomon was the wisest man that's ever lived. He was also the richest man that ever lived. He was a workaholic. He was incredibly brilliant, and he devoted his life to seeking and finding wisdom, to building and to accomplishing. Uh, I mean, the city of Jerusalem was never uh, bigger and better than under Solomon's reign. And then when he got to be, eh, I don't know, maybe my age, somewhere along the line, he just realized something, and that is, I'm going to die. And when I do, nothing that I have been spent my life investing, it doesn't matter anymore. It's stupid. Ecclesiastes, he wrote this as a result of that angst that he felt about his impending death. And he said to himself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this is vanity. There's no lasting remembrance of the wise as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten how the wise man and the fool alike die. I've sought wisdom, but I'm going to die. This fool over here hasn't done anything, and he's going to die. And when we die a year from now, nobody's even going to remember the difference between us. <clears throat> so I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. And then as he talked, uh, thought about his accomplishments, he said, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. 
And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. And so at that point, Solomon just becomes, he just eats and drinks. A thousand wives said, man, this is all there is. Might as well have a good time because when I die, it's all over. Number two, the natural fear of the unknown pushes us to not think about death. Uh, we, we just sort of ignore it, and we think that we're going to live to be a million years old. Just, you know, the way we, uh, we think, we just push it away. I'm going to go skydiving this summer. I think it'll be my fourth time. And uh, I'm not a bit nervous about it. Well, because I've already been. First time now, I was really nervous. Flying up in the airplane, because I'd never done it before. I didn't have a clue what it was about and what it was going to feel like and what it was going to look like. And, but now, eh, I'm a seasoned veteran. Three times I've jumped out of an airplane and sailed through the air and had this parachute land safely and had a good time. Eh, piece of cake this year. And if some of you want to go, you're welcome to go. And uh, first time will be spooky. Adrenaline rush. We don't think about death because we don't like the unknown. What's on the other side? Uh, we don't know. Number three, the failure to think a lot about eternity makes our trials a very big deal. So we have in our head this American Christianity that says, God loves me, and therefore he will take care of me. And if we go through a trial, it's like, why is God letting this happen to me? Why is this bad thing happening? Life is life. Life is intended to be hard. Life is full of suffering. Life is full of trials. That's the way life is. God created it that way. Because that's the context in which we grow in character to become like him. But then we die or Jesus comes back and we enter into heaven and we get a new body and it'll be incredibly, incomprehensibly wonderful. And so if you ignore your death, if you ignore heaven, you don't think much about it, then we become like Solomon. I mean, now we want it to be nice. We want life to be like heaven. And life, uh, most of the time, is like hell. And that's the way God planned it. And so we'll get there. And we'll get there soon. See, the issue with us is the time factor. If we knew that we were going to die and go to heaven in a week, we knew it, and we'd been there for a five-minute tour, I mean, it wouldn't matter what happened. We could go through the worst trials possible because it's going to be a week, and then we're going to go to heaven. And so in the Word of God, it says, our life, even if we live to be 80, is like the blink of an eye. It's like a vapor here for a moment and gone. Because when we get to heaven, it's forever and ever and ever and ever. A million, billion, trillion years, we will live with the glorified body in the presence of God, and it'll always be new and creative. And so we got this little bit of time that we're living now, and if we don't think a lot about heaven and focus on it, uh, our trials become a big deal, and they make us sad and grievous and cause us to be anxious and to worry. Number four, we have an inner awareness that we are eternal. I'm raising fish now. I have a hundred tilapia and a and a IBC tank, a 300-gallon tank, and um, I feed them, and uh, they poop in the water, and I pump the water out, and 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 
irrigate my plants, and they're growing like crazy. Got it in the greenhouse. It's really cool. And, and now I'm, gonna, I'm building another greenhouse. I'm going to get another tank, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get 100 fish every month, and they're going to grow up to a couple of pounds, and I'm going to fillet them, and I'm going to eat them, uh, these tilapia, and give them to my kids and grandkids. And part of the problem is that when I clean 100 fish, there's going to be a whole lot of guts. What am I going to do with all those guts? Put them in the garbage can? I guess I could do that, but what I found is that I can put those in a blue barrel and I can put a little bit of shavings on it and I can buy a bunch of red worms, like 30,000, put in there, and I can compost those fish guts and fish heads and they turn into super nice fertilizer that goes on the garden. Cool, huh? I could compost you. You know, some people think that's what happens when you die. You just turn to dirt, just fertilizer, just compost. That's it. You're over. Boop. Um, that'd be sort of sad, wouldn't it? I mean, raise your kids, you die, that's it. You'll never hear or see them again. All that you do, the work that you do, the wisdom that you gain, the character that you acquire, the trials that you go through, it doesn't matter because you're just going to turn to compost. Um, See, the essence of the gospel is that we live forever, and we know it. We've been uh, programmed by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything appropriate in his time. He has set eternity in our heart. Romans 1.19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. He put it there. We used to live out by the Ankeny Game Refuge when the kids were small and we were up on a hill and we could see the, all the geese and the, and the ducks, you know, hundreds, thousands of them. And, and we would talk about the fact that they, they, they come in from the north down to the south to spend the winter and then they go back up again uh, in the spring. And how do they know to do that? Well, God put it in them. And when I had honeybees and, and we talked about all the things that the bees do and how do they know all that? Well, God put it in them. Can God do that? Sure he can. So can he put in me some basic truth that I know? Um, sure he can. And one of those is that we know, I mean, we know inside that we don't just turn to dirt when we die. We know that there's something beyond the grave. We know that. Number five, our daily experience of sleep is a constant reminder of the grace of death. So God has illustrated the truth in the Bible by creation. He says that in Romans 1. Everything God has created is an illustration or a picture of the truth in the Word of God. So I went to sleep last night, got done with church, and went over to pray, and, and went home, and I was tired, and I, I, I crawled into my bed, and I pulled the covers up over my chin, and oh, this is so nice. And I laid my head on the pillow, and I went right asleep. Slept like a baby. I'm going to do the same thing tonight. I'm going to get in my bed and it's going to be, I'm going to be kind of wore out from the weekend and I'm going to pull up my blanket up on my head and it's going to, oh, this is, you know, we got one of those beds that you can make as firm or as soft as you want that select comfort one and it is so comfortable, my bed. I just love my bed. And I, I'll get in there and pull up the covers and go to sleep. This is so nice. What a great way to end the day. Now, it would have been so much more effective and efficient if God made it so that we could sleep for an hour once a week. Could God have done that? Sure he could. He can do anything. So why did he make it so you're going to sleep every day, eight hours, over and over and over and over again? Because God creates life so that we get a picture, an illustration constantly, and we don't even think about the fact that every time we crawl into bed and go to sleep, this is a picture and illustration of when we die and go to heaven. We're afraid of death. 
Well, God says, this is what it's like. Are you afraid of going to sleep, waking up to a new day? Um, and so every night when I go to sleep, I say, Lord, it'd be cool if you'd come tonight. I mean, that'd be so great. I wouldn't mind dying tonight in my sleep, waking up in heaven. Um, John 11 again, this he, said, uh, uh, this he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, why did Jesus say that? Well, because he wants us to understand this illustration that we experience every single day. He's fallen asleep, but I, I go so that I may waken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So I'm going to go to sleep tonight. When I do, I'm going to think about heaven and waking up there and how great that's going to be. Number six, heaven is a very real place where our experience of joy is incomprehensible. We should think about it often. So this is a a very, very important critical point in our life as believers is don't do what most people do and push the whole concept death out of death out of your thinking and not even think about it because it'll just make this life a bad place, sad place, a pressure-packed place. Think about heaven every day and go in there. The fact that you're there because Jesus gave you the gift of eternal life. And I mean, you can go through anything with a great deal of strength and power if you're anticipating this great gift that uh, God has given to us. Colossians 3, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that means if you've believed, trusted the gospel, you're born again, you're in his family, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So I'm going to take my wife out to dinner Tuesday evening uh, for a date somebody gave us the funds for that. And, um, and when we sit down in the restaurant, they're going to hand me a menu. And when I get the menu, I'm going to look through it. Okay, what do I want? And Patty will take twice as long as I do. She just goes over, uh, no, no, and she changes her mind. And, uh, no, 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 she changes her mind. And I, I sort of, come on, come on, come on. But, you know, she just wants to get the perfect thing. She chooses what she's going to eat. You can choose a lot in your life, uh, not just what you eat for dinner. You can choose what comes out of your mouth if you work at it. And this passage said, set your mind, set your mind. That means you can choose what you think about. And so what we think about is our job. We think about our bills. We think about uh, all the problems and the challenges and the issues of this life. And so it's no wonder that we're uptight and miserable and hard to get along with. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Now that's a choice you can make every day. And so when you get some bad news, a great way to react to that is, ah, I'm going to go to heaven. That's no big deal. Um, you know, people get sick and they're worried that it's cancer. Well, praise the Lord if it is. You're going to go to heaven. Why is that bad news? It's bad news because we don't like to think about death. We don't uh, ponder it. We don't set our mind on it because it's kind of scary. But set your mind on the things above. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
<clears throat> Hebrews 11:13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That is, we're just a passing through. We're not here for very long. Strangers, exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So they're thinking about heaven. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God because they think about heaven all the time, being there with him. That uh, means they're his favorites. I got a T-shirt somebody gave me. It says, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. I should have worn it this morning while I preached. So what would it take to be God's favorite? You are looking forward to heaven. You think about it all the time. You set your mind on the things above rather than on things of this earth. God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's just sort of a way God's saying, you're doing good. I changed my technique as a grandfather as opposed to a parent. Um, Sherry and Thomas live with us and their little boy, Courage, so he's around me all the time. When raising kids, you know, you'd, you'd scold and you'd give them... Uh, extra work to do because they were bad and, and you'd you know, lecture to them and all that. I don't do that as a grandpa. I never, ever scold courage. I never talked to him in a stern voice. Uh, he went potty in the potty chair yesterday. I said, yay, courage, good boy, way to go. That's all I do. Yay, courage, good boy, way to go. But whatever he does, I just catch him doing something right and I just praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. So, He's not ashamed to be called their God. That means he's all excited about what we're doing, and we're doing it good. We're doing it well, and he will uh, bless us for that. It's amazing how things change when we begin to focus on God and being with him and being in heaven and how much he blesses and how good we feel and how much joy we have and how much peace we have and how much strength we have and how much more we will do and can do for people when we get our eyes off of the problems of this life. But the average believer thinks like the, the person is not a believer. Uh, we just don't anticipate what God has given us. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, all that God has prepared for me. I mean, I can't comprehend it. John 14.2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. I wonder what kind of place that will be. It's God building it, making it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Number seven, the admonition to rejoice always and to grumble about nothing is easy for the person who has a clear understanding of eternity and thinks about it often. And so you're going on a cruise in a month. You're going to think about it, anticipate it, look forward to it. My daughter, Susanna, and uh, her husband, Kyle, and their kids are going to Disneyland. And uh, Kyle's parents are paying for the trip, so they get to go to Disneyland. Don't even have to pay for it. And so when they're around, they talk a lot about Disneyland. They're going to Disneyland. The kids, we're going to Disneyland. Uh, they're excited about going to Disneyland. Uh, when I went on my bicycle trip, uh, three months before I was ready to leave, that's basically all I could think about. You think, that's a lot of pain on that trip. Well, it was that, but 
It was kind of freedom. Um, just being away from the grind of cranking out a sermon every month or every week and uh, all the stuff that goes, you know, that just kind of wears me out. I, oh, oh, wow, I get to get away from life, all the pressures, responsibilities. All I have to do is just sort of be out there by myself. I really look forward to that with incredible anticipation. So heaven, it's mine. Romans 8, 18, that I consider that the sufferings of, the, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed, re- revealed us. So if you're going to be a tough person, that is, you manage trials well, you don't whine, you don't fuss, you don't cry about things, you're always happy. Some people say, oh, that's not realistic. It is realistic. Uh, it is very doable by any individual if we think right. But if we think like Solomon then the good times, the bad times become a big deal to us. They, it dictates to us whether we're going to be happy or sad simply in our circumstances. But if you're going to heaven and you know it, and you're anticipating it and you're looking forward to it, and you, whenever it gets tough here, you just, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. It's not that far away. It really isn't. It's not that far away. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though our outer man is decaying, that means you're getting sick a lot. Body parts are wearing out, decaying. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That means we think about heaven. We don't look at the things we can see. That is our job and all the problems in life. We think about heaven. And if you do that, you will be a very, very strong person. So I, I mentioned at the beginning two significant rule changes in American Christianity. First is this life is going to be cool because God loves us. That's a big lie right out of the pit. Second is that God is a God of love and he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Uh, so heaven is emphasized for a reason. It's where God lives and it's full of glory and beauty. And uh, the opposite of that is a place that we would call hell. The Bible actually says at the end time will be called the lake of fire. And Revelation says that anybody whose name is not written in the book of life, your name is written in the book of life by faith in the gospel in Jesus. When you believe the gospel, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Your name is written in the book of life. And so when we get to the end of the Bible and the book of Revelation, at the, judgment, at the great white throne judgment, any person's name who is not written in the book of life um, is cast into the lake of fire I will live in heaven forever. This individual will live in the lake of fire forever, for all of eternity. So, why should I become a Christian? You get to live in heaven forever instead of the lake of fire. And so I'm driven, consumed, about communicating the gospel so that people understand it, believe it. When I get to heaven, what I'd like, really, I'd like to look around at all the people that are there and say, yep, I influence that person and that person and that person and that person and that person uh, with my life. 
Paul says that. He said, when we get to heaven, you all that are believers because of my ministry, you're my glory when I get there. You will be my joy when I get there. And so we've been given a responsibility, and that is to share, uh, to pray for, to invite, to influence in any way we can neighbors and friends and relatives and total strangers so that a bunch of people will live in heaven for all of eternity. But because this American Christianity said, oh, God of love won't do that, we sort of buy into that kind of, and we don't, aren't motivated much to share the gospel with them. And, uh, you know, when we become a believer, if God were to take us and give us a five-minute tour of heaven and set the date that we die, that'd be cool. But what if God, when we became a believer, uh, sends us to hell for five minutes? Um, I often wonder why he doesn't do that, but instead we just get to live life. We need to really think, set our mind on the things above rather than the things on this earth, and not only for our own joy, but also for our own motivation and passion so that we do something with our life that matters in the sense of people being drawn to faith in Christ. The Gospel of John was written for that reason, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, you would live with him in eternity forever and ever and ever. And so I want that to be the purpose of my life. So Paul said, I, I want really like to die today and go to heaven, but if I stick around here, that means I get to do more. And so I'd like to die and go to heaven tonight, but if I live to be 96, I can influence, teach, bear fruit. Uh, so God, if you're going to use me, uh, I'd like to stick around a bit longer. But whatever you want. But I'm sure looking forward to it. Get my new body, it's going to be cool. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Every night when you go to bed, just imagine the grace of dying uh, and what it'll be like to wake up in heaven with a glorified body in the presence of God. That's mine. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's given to me as a gift on the basis of what Jesus did. And so in the evening when I go to bed, oh, wow, it's so nice to go to sleep. I'm going to go to heaven. Thank you. Lord Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving me this great gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done. And we, <clears throat> we tend to ignore this gift. We don't think about it much. We, we think about what we can see and what we can touch and what we can measure. And um, Death, heaven, eternity is outside of our experience. So we tend to avoid thinking. I pray that we would choose... Uh, we would choose to set our mind on the things above, to look at the things which are invisible, that are eternal, and we would stop fussing about this life and fretting and worrying about everything. Lord, we're going to go to heaven. You've given us that great gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, use us as your instruments of righteousness. Use us as witnesses. I pray that you would stir us, motivate us, thrust us into the harvest so that when we get there, there'll be a crowd of people that are there because we lived, because we shared and talked and prayed. Use our church as a mission, reaching the lost in this area and around the world. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.